Hello, this is Annie Catherine, host of the multi-award-winning podcast, Soulful Series. Thank you for joining me as I chat with award-winning authors who have written a memoir or nonfiction motivational book and have an uplifting message to share. Hi, everyone. I am here with Lynn Twist, author of Living a Committed Life. Thank you, Lynn, for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. I am delighted too. I'm so excited to talk to you. You've lived an incredible life. That's true. I have. (laughs) (laughs) So go ahead and tell us what inspired you to write this book. Um, Well, let's see. Um, I've been lucky enough to and fortunate enough to be um, involved in some of the biggest uh, global issues of our time. I worked for many, many years on ending world hunger and engaging with the issues around poverty and hunger. And um, and then more recently, in the last, well, 25 years of that, and then another 25 years now of working with indigenous peoples of the Amazon uh, uh, to preserve the Amazon rainforest. Um, and so in the context of all of that, I've met with amazing people. I've uh, had extraordinary experiences. And I, I'm just so clear those experiences are not just for me. Um, it's almost like I'm the instrument of something. And uh, uh, what has been so obvious to me is that I've, the lessons and teachings I've learned from people like Desmond Tutu or Mother Teresa or the indigenous peoples of the Amazon aren't just for me. They're really to be provided for everybody. And so the book is really uh, an attempt to do that, to share the teachings I've received, knowing that they're not just for me, they're really for humanity. Because we're living at such a crazy, difficult, challenging, epic time um, that we all need to kind of um, have some support, some understanding, some context for the times we're living in. And um, that's really what the book is designed to provide. That's wonderful. I love that you're giving back by sharing your experiences and they're meant to be for everybody. I just love that message. So in your own words, what does living a committed life mean? Well, um, it means uh, having a commitment larger than your own life starring you. And, um, you know, we're we're living at a time where the um, where people are sort of retracting and self-absorbed and I got to take care of me and mine because the world is getting scarier and scarier. When in fact, I think the job and the times we're living in require us to step out into life to, to realize that we can make a difference that can impact all humanity, that what's being called for is true and profound commitment to the long-term future of life, to future generations to realizing that the choices we make, the choices you and I make every day impact the future of life for a thousand years, not just, you know, next week or next month. No, they impact the future of life for a thousand years. That's become really, really clear, particularly with the climate crisis, but with everything. Maybe that was always true, but it's really true right now. And so we're at this sort of epic time in history where we have the opportunity to live what I'm calling a committed life, but also there's a call for it. Um, I, I like to think of the climate crisis in, in as, as horrendous and scary as it is, 
as challenging and gigantic as it is, is something that's happening for us, not to us. And when you think of it that way, it's happening for us rather than to us. We're not the victims of it. We actually literally, literally created it. Um, you know, it's, it's the result of human activity, which is for a little bit the bad news because it makes you feel a little guilty, but it's really the good news because if we created it, we can, we can resolve it. And, yes. but it will require us to step up, step out, step into life in a bigger way than just taking care of ourselves. And so, uh, my book and my message is really to live in a much more, uh, larger context than your own life, to realize that your life has been given to you. It's a gift. It's an incredible yes. gift to be alive at this time in history. Just an incredible yes. gift. Because we are living at a time when we can make the most meaningful and live the most meaningful lives any generation has ever lived. And that ennobles your life. That gives your life this tremendous meaning. Rather than being a burden, it's a huge opportunity. And so, um, and the, the subtitle of the book is Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. And I found that um, rather than try to keep your options open, if you really realize what you're here to do, why are you here on this planet at this particular time? What is your gift? What is your treasure? What is it that you have to offer? And we all have something or we wouldn't have been born, I believe. So if we stop worrying about whether or not we're good enough or tall enough or thin enough or smart <laughs> enough or all the things enough that we think of all the time and that kind of hijack our life, if we put all of that in the background, because that's part of being a human being, it's not going to go away, and put in the yeah. foreground what we're committed to, what the largest and most inspiring commitments we have are, yeah. those commitments come back and kind of shape you into being the person you need to be to fulfill them. It's rather than you need to uh, be a certain kind of person to make a big commitment. No, you make the big commitment, and then it comes back reaches back into your life and makes you into the person who can fulfill fill those commitments. And I've learned that from some of the heroes and heroines that we all know and love that I've been privileged to work with, like Jane Goodall, Archbishop Tutu, Mother Teresa, uh, people who were born ordinary like you and me, but by making an extraordinary commitment, it pulled them into their greatness. And I think that's available for everybody and I think that's why we're alive right now. So um, yeah. that's what I mean by living a committed life, jumping into life, yeah. grabbing it, being as big and powerful and effective as you can possibly be, not for yourself, but in service of the times we're living in. Yes. And I love your message about, you know, getting out of your own head and getting out of the day-to-day worries. And once you commit to something larger than yourself, everything else falls away that wasn't what you shouldn't have been worried about in the first place. And I really resonated with that message in your book mm -hmm. and that everybody can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you find what you're talented and you find what your gift is and you commit to something and then all the resources come to you it because i feel like some people including myself think oh my gosh how am i going to do this it's overwhelming and in your book you say just commit and do it 
and the resources will come to you and it will, you will find a way it will come, it'll be there. And that's very powerful. It takes the stress off the person. It does. And I want to make sure that, um, that we don't leave people with sort of magical thinking, but really knowing that if it's something that, that is makes your heart sing, turns you on, is meant for you to do and be, and it is of service to the world. That's a key part of this. It's not just, I'm going to be, you know, famous, which is not a commitment that I'm (laughs) suggesting a person makes that's larger than your own life. No, if if it's a commitment to really be of service, then the universe will align with you. And it's not magical, but it is miraculous. Um, you know, and I think yes. there's a difference between magical and miraculous. I love magical. I love magical thinking. I love magical things. I love imagination. But it's actually what I'm talking about is almost like miraculous because mm-hmm. when uh, when the universe is um, is is in the picture as what you're serving, then it it uh, it moves to align with that is another way of putting it. Um, There's a wonderful quote that I'm sure you read in the book, and I'm sure many people have heard, uh, that when one commits, providence moves too. All unforeseen things that never could have been predicted start to line up with that commitment. And I'm not saying as beautifully as the quote says it, but it is true, like people who are committed to doing something remarkable like climbing Mount Everest, which is where that quote comes from, W.H. Murray talking to the man, first man yeah. who climbed Mount, Mount Everest. Um, the, 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 uh, the, the strength that comes from that commitment in your, almost in your body uh, creates the, the, uh, all the necessities to fulfill that commitment starting to be available to you in yourself also. So you find your own greatness you find talents and treasures you didn't know you had. You find um, resolve and determination that you never thought you could muster. You know, like if you were trying to do a diet or something like that, you couldn't get it together. But if you make a commitment larger than yourself, suddenly you have discipline that you never had before for your own needs. Um, and you're, uh, and you have the, the right people start to show up. You suddenly realize that, that, that they're everything that you need and want for this next step on your journey, not everything forever, ever, but for the next step of the journey starts to be accessible. And particularly if you pay attention. So it has a lot to do with paying attention uh, and being conscious of the gifts that are available in the universe to all of us um, and paying attention to what's showing up. So if you show up, what's wanted and needed to support you also can show up. Yes. Yes. I love that. Now, why don't we talk about what you have committed your life to? Because you, you talk a little bit about your incredible experiences. So can we dive more into um, what projects um, you started um, moving towards? Uh, Well, I was very fortunate as a young mother to get um, access to and involved with uh, the, the human potential movement at that time, the EST training, the landmark training, which is what it is today, um, was, you know, was very uh, controversial, but it was very uh, exciting in San Francisco where I live. 
And so I took the S training and that really shot me out of a cannon. I realized, oh my God, you could make a difference with your life. Your little life could matter. And I was the mother of three. My husband was um, in business. He was, you know, ambitious and trying to be successful. And we were, um, you know, a young couple trying to make our way. But after I took this training called EST at the time, now it's called Landmark, I uh, realized, my God, I could make a difference with my life. And then I was fortunate enough to meet Buckminster Fuller. And Buckminster Fuller was a great, great man who lived in the 20th century and who, uh, who lived his life as an experiment. Could one ordinary little individual make a difference that would impact all of humanity? And being exposed to that idea and Buckminster Fuller, who actually lived that way, had me start opening my eyes and my ears and my heart and my mind to, could I make a difference with my life? And then bang, Buckminster Fuller, Werner Erhard, the founder of EST, and John Denver and some other people started something called The Hunger Project. And it was designed in the uh, initial uh, creation of it to bring forth, bring into existence the commitment to end world hunger that humanity was living with hunger and poverty as if it was inevitable and there was nothing we could do about it. When in fact, there was way more than enough food to everybody, feed everybody on earth. And hunger was really more an integrity problem uh, than a political or distribution problem or a food problem. It was in the integrity and in the way we related to each other. This is what Buckminster Fuller and Werner Erhard were saying. Um, an integrity problem in the way that we live, in that we would live in a way that would take way more than we need uh, because we're so afraid there's not enough and leave millions and millions of people out, mostly children under five at that time who were dying at the rate of 44,000 people a day in, uh, in 1977. And, uh, and so I got swept off my feet by the idea of ending world hunger whether it would happen in my lifetime or after I was gone, to make a contribution to that. And that was called The Hunger Project and still is called The Hunger Project. And it, we worked to um, generate, create, bring forth, bring into existence the commitment to end hunger, not, not only alleviate suffering, not only make things a little better, but actually bring hunger to an end, the end of starvation, and hunger as an idea whose time has come. And that commitment was so powerful for me. It was so uh, extraordinary that it changed my life very, very dramatically. So the Hunger Project became my, um, my dharma, my goal, my commitment, the context of my life, the, the context of our family's life, actually. And um, it was such a thrill to begin to see our our lives, all of us, I have three kids, as dedicated to ending world hunger. And um, we, um, you know, when most families would go to Disneyland for spring break, we went to Micronesia or Zambia um, or uh, Guinea-Bissau. Um, so my children really grew up in, in, uh, in the context of ending world hunger. And our home here in San Francisco, because the headquarters was here, was a place where um, the Ethiopian staff would come to be trained, the Bangladeshi staff would come to be trained, and they would stay with us. So my kids grew up um, speaking several languages, understanding the world, 
when they uh, grew up and were in college, they were able to travel the world and there was like a safety net everywhere for them because we had friends and um, and, and colleagues all over the world. So uh, it benefited our family very, very deeply, but it also took me away from the kids a lot because I was working in India. I was working in in um, Zimbabwe. I was working in Ghana. I was raising money in Europe. I was um, uh, in Japan. Uh, at the same time, we were a family that was really global before people were thinking that way. So there was benefits and there were sacrifices, but um, I really found that living that way and having that kind of a commitment nourished all of us. And um, and then uh, the second kind of chapter of my adult life has been working in the Amazon rainforest with indigenous people. And that came through a whole series of visions that the indigenous people sent out to the world to uh, have people come to them. And I was lucky enough to receive those visions and um, and went to visit with the Achuar people in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And that was the beginning of a whole other chapter of my life. And um, and now I work with the indigenous peoples of the sacred headwaters of the Amazon rainforest uh, to empower them to protect their land and culture uh, and the future of life, which is dependent very much on the ecosystem of the Amazon rainforest. But also... Um, the uh, Pachamama Alliance, which is the organization we founded, Pachamama means Mother Earth, the Pachamama Alliance, is an alliance between the indigenous peoples of the Amazon rainforest and conscious committed people in the modern world like you and the people listening to this, uh, to this wonderful conversation for the sustainability of life. And um, we also do programs all over the world in 88 countries uh, that are designed to fulfill this mission to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. And that phrase, an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet, really embodies my um, my life commitment now. Um, and that there's kind of like everything fits in there. You know, that's a big, big commitment. But it allows me to <laughs> really walk in this world in a way that I know that the way I'm living, the way I'm working, the way I'm serving, is is um, is something that I um, that puts my own needs, wants, desires in the background, and my commitment in the foreground. Yes. And through doing that, the joy, fulfillment, uh, and opportunities I've had are just indescribable, and would never have happened without that commitment. Yes, those are you are so inspirational. The projects are just so amazing. And so you said that you've met some wonderful people, some once in a lifetime, like people don't meet <laughs> these type of people on a day-to-day -day basis. And you met Mother Teresa. And wow, can you just talk about that experience? Well, Mother Teresa uh, was an icon for me, too. I think she has been and is still for everyone. Uh, and um, when I was working on hunger uh, and, you know, engaged with issues of poverty and hunger, I uh, it took me to India. And when I was in India, I started realizing, my God, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on issues that may bring me closer to Mother Teresa because Mother Teresa was a you know, uh, icon for me as a child, I was raised as a Catholic. And if you're Catholic, 
you know, you, you really respect Mother Teresa because she's kind of the epitome of what Catholicism is really all about in service. She's, she was a living saint. And so it said, I said to myself, God, I wouldn't be awesome to meet Mother Teresa. And I was sharing that with an Indian friend, a friend of mine, Indira Koitra, who I'm so grateful to. And she said, Oh, I know Mother Teresa. Like, you know, like, you do? I said to her. She said, yes, yes, I know Mother Teresa quite well. Next time you come to Delhi, you let me know. And if she's in town, I'll introduce you. And of course, I, I was just like gobsmacked, you know, you know kind of flabbergasted. Yes. She knew Mother Teresa. I didn't know anybody could really personally know her that I knew. So I got so excited. And, um, yeah. and then, you know, I went back home and it was a couple of years later that I was in a situation in, in India where I had to go to Delhi. And Mother Teresa, you know, traveled the world, mm-hmm. so she wasn't always there. She, she, her, her mother house was in Calcutta. She wasn't always around. So, um, you know, I thought it was kind of a long shot. But I called. I was in Delhi for a bunch of meetings with UNICEF, and I called Indira Koitra, and I said, "Is there any chance that um, that Mother Teresa's here? Because I would just love, love, love to meet her. It would be like, oh my God, I can't even believe I would get to do that." Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, "She's here." She's she has an orphanage here. She's at her <laughs> orphanage for girls. I'll arrange a meeting tonight. And I was just panicked suddenly. I said tonight because I had not been to church or mass or communion or all the things you're supposed to do as a Catholic in years and years and years, which I was you know sort of a, had abandoned that whole thing called Catholicism. So I I canceled all my meetings with UNICEF. I went to church. I practically washed myself in holy water. I mean I. I was like, do I wear a Indian ensemble? Do I wear Western clothes? Do I put a bindi, one of those things on my head? What do I do to be worthy of a meeting with her? So I was completely crazed. Uh, but then when I finally got to her her uh, orphanage, um, it was so moving to walk into that orphanage and see the babies. There were It was an orphanage for children under two that were girls that were given up because in at that time in India – and still in some cases, uh, people didn't feel that girls were as valuable as boys. So when they had a baby girl, they would give her up sometimes. Very, very tragic mm-hmm. part of that culture. And um, so they had 39 little girls under two. They were babies in cribs, 39 cribs filled with babies. I'm sorry. There were babies, many babies in each crib. And I counted the 39 cribs. And I just was overwhelmed with these little babies, these beautiful little girls, some of whom were deformed, and that's why they were given up. Others were blind or deaf, and that's why they were given up. Some didn't have fingers and toes. Uh, but they were gorgeous little babies. And when I arrived, the um, the woman who greeted me, the nun who greeted me, told me Mother Teresa wasn't there, that she was at the uh, down at the jailhouse bailing out young prostitutes, young women who had turned to prostitution because they were so poor. And she said, the nun said, because we need help here. We've got so many children and Mother Teresa's not here. So maybe since you're here uh, to meet with her, you could meet with her in a particular way by helping us (laughs) with babies. So that's what happened when I first got there. And so uh, I was in a state of bliss taking care of these little babies. I was tasked to uh, be over at the, uh, a line of sinks where we were bathing little babies that were deformed. And it's the most incredible experience of, of Mother Teresa, even though she wasn't there. I was in the context, in the 
beauty and the bliss of her work of service. And I had joined in many ways, uh, Mother Teresa's aura, her, her energy by becoming one of the people taking care of the children. And, uh, I had often heard the Mother Teresa say, uh, to know me is to know my work. And I thought, well, this is my meeting with Mother Teresa. So I was so honored that I kind of forgot that about meeting with her. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and they said, she's here. She was ready to meet with you. And then I got, you know, freaked out all over again. <laughs> Put my little little baby down that I was bathing and gave it to one of the other nuns. And then I had the most amazing first encounter with her, um, which was um, I've written about in my first book, The Soul of Money. I'll say that because that's a central story. My first meeting with Mother Teresa in the Soul of Money book, for those who would like to hear that story. But the, the outcome of it was that, I became, um, I became her, she became my mentor. Uh, I became one of the people who could uh, confide in her. Um, she, she taught by example. She didn't have a lot to say, but who she was was her work. And that was really how I knew her and how she, um, how she impacted my life. So that's my Mother Teresa story, at least at this moment. Yes, I love that. You went there and they just put you to work and you, they needed your help and you just helped and you felt Mother Teresa before you even encountered her. And that, that is, that is, I can't even think of a better word than just saying incredible. That is so incredible. Oh, wow. It almost brings me to tears. It does. <laughs> so, okay. I want to get back to your book and I, I want to know, um, who would benefit most from from reading your book, The Living a Committed Life? Oh, look at all the little tabs. That makes me happy that you read the whole thing. I saw the little tabs there. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm all for an author. <laughs> you tab this little card. Never. I know that. Um, well, you, example. Thank you very much. And hopefully the kind of people who yeah. would be toning into Soulful Series because the name itself mm -hmm says that people are up to something. People are uh, in some ways aware that they're a soul in incarnation right now and um, and that they want to uh, touch, have their soul be touched because that's what the book is designed to do. And I've been touched very deeply in, um, in many ways that I want to share with people like your listeners, like the people who are listening right now. Um, and, uh, and people who are open to um, uh, making a difference with their life, people who are, uh, who are maybe done with being self-absorbed with their own needs and want to be of service, even if they're, you know, they're, they, they are, can't make ends meet financially. That's okay. You can still live a committed life. You know, um, you don't need to be committed to ending world hunger and transforming the entire world. You can be a kindergarten teacher who really cares about <laughs> your children and wants to make sure that your year with them, your nine months with those little five-year-olds is um, it makes a real difference in their life and that they learn values and ways of being and, and get guidance and, uh, and a deep understanding and feel seen and known and appreciated so that for the rest of their life, they have that taproot of their year with you. So you could be a bus driver, you know, um, and, and know that the people that, sit, that, you know, come on your bus feel of the joy and the privilege that it is to be uh, responsible for their well-being, at least for, you know, 20 minutes on the bus. It doesn't need to be a commitment 
to change the world and those who want to change the world because there's a lot of need for that right now uh, hopefully will um, will benefit from this book because I think we're living in um, as I said the times where you know I have a wonderful friend and mentor who name is Joanna Macy and she's 96 and she's an ecologist she's a Buddhist teacher she's um, she's a systems theorist she's a very famous woman and I feel very grateful to know her and I interviewed her for the book because she's she's in there because she's lived a committed life and she said to me when I met with her she's 96 she said I'm so excited that I'm still here to see the great transition the great transformation and I, I just love that because she feels after living for almost a century that we're in the greatest transformation the greatest transition the greatest changes, the greatest um, challenges that humanity has ever faced in the history of the human kind. And we're here for that. And how are we going to live through that? How are we not only going to survive it, but how are we going to contribute to it so that we all survive? And, um, and, and she, she said this other thing. She said, souls are waiting to incarnate so they can be part of this exciting time. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. I'm here now. What difference can I make? <laughs> how can I, in a hundred yeah. years from now, how can people look back and say the people who lived in the first century of the third millennium, the 21st century, were the people who really turned the tide. They were the people who brought our species to a new level of consciousness. They were the people who lived their life with such service, such devotion, such de dedication, mm -hmm. such um, attention to the future generations that they made our lives possible. And I think we are the ancestors of the generations to come. We are the ancestors of an age to come. So how do we want to live our lives? And what a thrill to be alive at a time when we can make that kind of a difference. So yes. my book's for I, everybody. <laughs> I just love your passion and your zest for life. It's like so contagious. I just love it. And I'm so honored that you're here talking to me. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, um, there's a website called uh, soulofmoney.org, S-O-U-L-O-F-M-O-N-E-Y.org, soulofmoney.org. And that's the name of my first book, The Soul of Money, which is still quite relevant. Um, and uh, and that that's our website for all of our work. We have courses, we have coaching, we have special courses for women now because I feel this is the Sophia century the century when women will take our rightful role in co-equal partnership with men and the world will come into balance. Um, and um, there, you can also go uh, to any one of the many, many online book stores, including Amazon and Booklist and uh, Porchlight and uh, Barnes and Nobles, et cetera, et cetera, and order Living a Committed Life. Uh, it's available now. Um, and then uh, I also would love people to go to pachamama.org, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A, pachamama.org, to learn about the Pachamama Alliance, which is the work we do in the Amazon rainforest and the courses we do to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. Um, and I'd also love for people to uh, check out the Hunger Project, which is where I learned a lot of what I am teaching and and uh, expressing in this book. So 
Living a Committed Life is available on all uh, those those websites and eventually in bookstores. And then the soulofmoney.org. You can sign up to receive our Wednesday Wisdoms, which come every Wednesday, uh, to take any of our courses. Many of them are online and some in person. And to um, really tap into this world of, of commitment, of, of service, of having your life have a lot of meaning, and also what I call the Sophia century, this century when the divine feminine is coming through, uh, through very, very powerfully, I think through women like you and hopefully me, and also coming through men. And uh, the problems that we face in the world today uh, are demanding the divine feminine as well as uh, the healthy masculine to be resolved. So that's another part of my work. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It was so enlightening. I love talking to you. Um, and I'll check out your, I, all the websites you said to go to. So, and the courses, <laughs> they sound so interesting. Wonderful. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you so much, you. Annie. It was a joy being with you too. And, um, good luck with everything. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Soulful Series is hosted by me, Annie Catherine. Soulful Series is a Vienna Studios production produced by Vanessa Ferlano. Music by Vanessa Ferlano. Catch you next time. Part of the ACAST community.